The text for this morning's service is from James, chapter 3, the verses 1 through 12. Let's read that together. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers. Because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large, and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Thus far the reading. Thus far the text. And then after the sermon we will sing from Psalm 52, the stanzas 1, 2, and 5. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, the average person uses about 30,000 words per day. That's a lot of words. All of us speak enough words each day to fill a book. If you multiply that by the days in your lifetime, then you will be able to fill a good-sized library with a volume of books written just by you. During a typical worship service, I will use up from six to 8,000 words. And so each Sunday, I use up my allotment per day just during the morning or a large portion of my allotment each day, just each morning and afternoon services. When I conduct a worship service, then I know that my words are recorded. Hundreds of people listen to the words I have to say. My words are also recorded on the internet. And so during the worship services, I am very careful with the words that I use. Before I open my mouth here on this pulpit, I will have carefully thought about exactly what I'm going to say and 
how I'm going to say it. I spent a good part of the week to prepare myself. But did you know that all of your words, day in, day out, are recorded as well? And do you know who does the recording? Well, the Lord God. He keeps a record of each word that we speak. He bugs our conversation every day. He is always listening in. And he holds us accountable. The Lord Jesus himself made that very clear when he said in Matthew 12, verse 36, But I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. And therefore we must speak and act as though we were already facing Christ in judgment. However, the words that we speak are not always wholesome words, are they? Just think about this morning before you came to church, especially when you have small children to get ready, you will likely already have spoken angry and unwise words. And it is possible that after the worship service that you get into the family car and that you argue all the way home. That's the way it often goes in families. What's the matter with us? Well, the matter with us is that we all have unruly tongues. James' words here in chapter 3 are just as fitting now as when he wrote them 2,000 years ago. James speaks about the power of the tongue. With our tongues, we can accomplish a great deal. Through the spoken word, you can either build up or you can tear down. You can accomplish great things with your tongue, and you can do a lot of damage with your tongue. It is a very powerful instrument. That's what I will preach to you about this morning. I will preach to you about the power of the tongue. And then we will see that it has the power in the first place to direct the course of life, and in the second place to destroy the circle of life, and then finally to heal the source of life. Let me state that once again. I will preach to you about the power of the tongue. It has the power, first of all, to direct the course of life, secondly, to destroy the circle of life, and then finally, to heal the source of life. Already earlier in this letter, James indicated that he was going to come to the subject of the tongue. He said back in chapter 1, verse 26, If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. He also says in verse 19 that we must be quick to listen and slow to speak. The tongue is a very dangerous weapon. It needs to be used with extreme caution. It needs to be handled with care. It's like a stick of dynamite. You had better not let it slip. That's also the way it is with the tongue. You had better not let it slip either. There's a proverb that says, Though the feet should slip, ne'er let the tongue. Surprisingly, James begins by singling out a particular group. He begins by addressing the teachers in their midst. When we think about teachers, then we think about those who teach in an elementary 
or high school or university. And then we also think about ministers and elders. But if that were the case, then most of you sitting in the pews would be let off the hook. And then this would apply only to a few individuals in our church. However, that is not what James has in mind here. The scriptures consider all of us to be teachers. Listen, for example, to the way the author of the letter to the Hebrews addresses his readers. He says in Hebrews 5 verse 12, In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truth of God's word all over again. He expects all of his readers to be well enough equipped to be teachers. However, it is true that James especially has in mind those who have a prominent position as teacher in the church. James writes that not many of them should presume to be teachers. And it appears from this that many amongst his readers had that desire. They had the desire to teach others. And that's a noble desire. But to teach someone requires a certain skill. That is why it is a good thing that James earlier reminded the readers that you must be quick to listen. You can't be a good teacher if you are not a good listener first. If you want to bring others to faith, for example, then it is not just a matter of coming with all kinds of facts about what being a Christian is all about, No, you first of all have to know where another person is coming from. What's going on in his or her life? Most people have heard something about the Christian faith. But there are certain reasons that they have rejected the Christian faith. Find out what are those reasons. Are they misinformed? Or are they disappointed in Christian people that they have met in the past? What keeps them from coming to the saving knowledge about Christ? And in order to find these things out, you first of all have to listen to them, to be in tune with them. And only then can you apply God's word to them. It needs to be applied to them within their own particular situation. The most important teaching we do is to our children. It says in Proverbs 22 verse 6, Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Literally, it says, train a child according to the demand of his way. Most translations do not have this right. And so a better translation would be, train a child in accordance with his own unique circumstances. And when he is old, he will remain on the right track. So in other words, find out what makes your child tick. Listen to him or to her. And don't think that that the way to bring up a child is to lecture him or her. Don't overwhelm him or her with a torrent of words. Don't impose your personal likes and dislikes upon your child. Use your words wisely. Make sure they apply. Do that with everyone with whom you come into contact. And do that within the parameters of God's laws. 
And that gives you an enormous amount of room. For God wants us to enjoy his creation to the fullest. And there are numerous ways in which we can do that. A teacher must be able to share God's truth. But, as we saw the last time, faith without deeds is useless. The teacher will not be effective unless he also practices what he teaches. The parent can say one thing to the child and do something completely different. And that does an enormous amount of damage. James says that we all stumble in many ways. He includes himself in this. He says that no one is perfect in that regard. We're all prone to slips of the tongue. Don't think that James is saying this because he wants to give us a way out. Well, we can't really help ourselves because that's the way we all are. We all slip once in a while. That's not what he means. What he means is that when we speak to others, we have to keep in mind that we are sinners just like they are. The word that he uses for stumbling literally means to sin or to transgress. Don't come to others with a superior attitude as if you are better than they are. As if you know everything. No, you're a stumbler like everyone else. And therefore, use your words carefully. Be kind and considerate. People do not respond well to those who are smug and self-righteous. Such a person does not come across as a sympathetic or as an understanding person. But people do respond to kindness and gentleness. If you want to teach others, you have to be humble. And that's a quality especially necessary for an office bearer. James says that if anyone is never at fault in what he says, that then he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When James uses that word perfect, he actually refers to maturity. And that's the theme that he develops throughout his letter. He urges his leaders, his readers on to the maturity of faith. When you are mature in speech, then you know what to say, how to say it, and when to say it. Then you don't just say the first thing that comes to your mind. You have a good sense of timing and content. And James makes some very good illustrations in order to make his point. He compares the tongue to a bit in the mouth of a horse and to the rudder of a ship. Those two items are quite small, yet exercise great power. With a bit, you can control a powerful horse, and with a rudder, you can steer a huge ship. Horses are often used as an example of power. That is why even today we speak about the horsepower of a motor. But a horse needs to be controlled. And the way you do that is by putting a bit into his mouth so that you can overcome the wild nature of the horse. And the rudder of a ship is only a small part of that ship, but you use it in order to control that large ship to fight the winds and the currents that otherwise would drive it off course. 
And there are all kinds of things that threaten to drive us off course. Our old nature wants to control us and make us do all kinds of sinful things. And our sinful nature needs to be controlled. And therefore we have to learn to use our tongues in the right way. We have to learn to use it to steer others in the right direction. Brothers and sisters, and that includes you boys and girls, I hope you're listening too. Never underestimate how you can direct the lives of others by the use of well-chosen and timely words. And never underestimate either the damage that you can do with poorly chosen words. Think, for example, of the way that the Lord Jesus used his words and how he directed the lives of others in a positive way. The Lord Jesus always spoke words of healing. Words of healing to those who were down and out, to the prostitutes and the sinners. He spoke, for example, to the woman at the well. And when he did so, her life was completely changed just by the words he spoke. And so were the lives of her neighbors. He spoke kindly to her in spite of the fact that she was a Samaritan. In spite of the fact that she was hated by the Jews. The very fact that he spoke kindly to her made her think. It made her think about the message of salvation that he was bringing. And it changed her life. You too have the power to change the life of others. You young people too, you have the power to change the life of your friend, also the one who is down and out, the one that others want nothing to do with. You have great power with your tongue. Brothers and sisters, do you want to direct the lives of your children, of your loved ones? Do you want to be a positive influence on them so that they will direct their lives in the right way? Then use your tongue wisely. Use it in the way the Lord Jesus used it, by being kind and compassionate and forgiving. And yet, by also setting clear boundaries. But don't you use your tongue in a destructive way. We come to the second point. In verse 6, James compares the tongue to a fire and states that the tongue sets the whole course of life on fire. When he speaks here about the course of life, he uses an expression that means the circle of life. James suggests that the various aspects of our lives are connected like spokes in a wheel. He is referring here to all aspects of human existence from beginning to end. And the point that James is making is that with your tongue, you can destroy someone's life. If a child grows up with nothing but criticism and harsh words, then he or she will have a very difficult time throughout his or her whole life. And some children are easier to love than others. But it is especially the ones who are not so easy to love. Those are the ones you make the extra effort with. Kind words are the building blocks of life. 
Think about it. When God spoke, we came into existence. Those were words of love, for he created us in love. But don't think that we don't have power like that as well. We do. If you want to give your children or your wife or your husband a good life, then you do that by the kinds of words that you use. And if you want to destroy their life, then you can also do that by the words you use. Words are extremely powerful. When I lived in Houston, in northern British Columbia, which is a small community set in a large valley in the midst of giant forests, there's a very large strip in the midst of the forest close to the town which was destroyed by fire. And when the fire was raging, the city of Houston was greatly endangered. It affected the people adversely, and they were reminded of that fire whenever they went up for a drive and came across a swath of that great section blackened by fire. That fire made quite an impact. People talked about it for years. It had the power to destroy large portions of the forest and almost destroyed that town of 4,000 people. The fire became known as the Swiss Fire because it was accidentally set on fire by someone from Switzerland who was there on holidays. However, the Swiss Embassy did not like the fact that this became known as the Swiss Fire. They did not want the reputation of Switzerland to be negatively affected by that name. One thoughtless moment by a single person created much havoc and even threatened the reputation of a whole country. Well, says James, the same thing is true of the tongue. One thoughtless remark can destroy the circle of life. And by making a thoughtless, hurtful remark to another person, you can interrupt his or her mental well-being for a lifetime. You can greatly affect or alter a person's mood and ability to function. And that is especially the case if you are in a position of power or influence. A parent, an elder, a minister, a deacon, a good friend, or a teacher in school. Unkind words spoken behind a person's back are especially damaging. And let's face it, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, we're all very good gossips, aren't we? We like to talk about other people. That's one of our favorite pastimes. The book of Proverbs reminds us that when we do that, we add wood to the fire. It says in Proverbs 26 or 20, Without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. When there is a fire, then often it is not the fire as such that does all the damage. No, you can have a small fire that can do a lot of smoke damage. A fire spreads its misery around. As James says, it's hard to tame a wild animal. However, it's even harder to tame our tongue. As someone said, the most untamable thing in the world has its den behind the teeth. 
James speaks here about the tongue as a world of evil among the parts of the body. How true that is. Think about the wrong language that constantly flows from our mouths. With our words we express anger and bitterness. With our words we express our wrong desires about the things we want in order to fulfill our own lives. Our words are often selfish and self-serving. Our tongues express what live in our hearts. Listen to what the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 12, verse 34. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our heart is the seat, the storehouse of our emotions and our desires. And the unsanctified heart is full of wrong desires and goals and ambitions. It is indeed a world of evil. And James says that our tongue is itself set on fire by hell. That's quite a strong statement. Look at what Satan did with his words. He tempted Adam and Eve. He spoke lies to them. His words were full of venom. As the Lord Jesus said in John 8 verse 44, Satan is the father of lies and a murderer from the beginning. He killed with his tongue. The tongue is that powerful. But our tongues do not need to be set on fire by hell. Do you know how the tongues of the apostles were set on fire on that first day of Pentecost? Their tongues were set on fire, brothers and sisters, by the Holy Spirit. And that fire is a purifying fire. That fire from heaven burns all away all the impurities that live inside of us and that come out of us via the mouth. If our tongues are set on fire by the Holy Spirit, then it is a mighty tool in the service of the Lord. Then it is a mighty tool in the building up of the church, in the building up of family, in the building up of friendships, and all kinds of relationships. But if the heart is full of hatred, of envy, and bitterness, then Satan is the one who is lighting the fire. And then all we do is destroy Our hearts, however, must be filled with love, the love of Christ. We come to the third and final point. James says that the tongue is remarkably versatile. With the tongue we can praise our Lord and Father, and with it we can curse men who have been made in the image of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. And then James goes on to compare the mouth to a spring of water. He says it is impossible for both fresh water and salt water to come out of the same spring. The spring that produces fresh and wholesome water gives a water that gives life. It gives life to vegetation and to animals and to man. This world cannot exist without fresh water. In other words, water is the soul of all life. It is the life-giving source. The same thing is true of the soul of man. 
if the soul of a man is good and wholesome, then so is the life of that man. As the spring is the source of life, so the soul is the source of life, or the heart. The proverb says, the words of a man's mouth are deep waters, but the fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. Water, however, can also do a lot of damage. Just think about floods. They bring death and destruction. And so it says in Proverbs 18, verse 21, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Cool water is refreshing. So are well-chosen words. It was Paul's prayer to the Romans that he might come to them with joy and together with them be refreshed. Romans 15, verse verse 32. He also speaks about those fellow believers who have refreshed him with their words. Kind and upbuilding and encouraging words can be so refreshing. They are the source of life. The words that you hear from this pulpit are also words of life. For these are not the words of a man, at least they ought not to be, but they are the words of God. Every time God speaks to you, he tells you that he loves you and that he graciously and mercifully forgives you your sins and that he wants to dwell with you forever and ever, that he wants to be near you. That is, he wants to dwell in your heart Aren't those wonderful words that God speaks to you? Those are upbuilding words. Those are the words of eternal life. And when the Lord Jesus spoke his words, it was always with the aim of bringing others closer to the Father in heaven. And that, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, should be our aim as well. All our words must be chosen to direct others to the source of life, which is God. The tongue can be such a delightful instrument, and it can also be such a destructive instrument. And that is why James compares the tongue to a tree. Trees are essential for the life of the earth. They produce clean air. They hold down the soil. They provide beauty and shade, and trees bear fruit. In Proverbs 10, verse 21, it says, The tongue of the righteous nourish many. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, let our tongues be instruments of nourishment, of healing. We all stumble in many ways, James says, indeed. We're all a bunch of stumbling fools. But it is especially because of that, that words can be so healing. It is especially because of that, that God's words can be so healing, that he tells us that he forgives us our sins, as long as we also fight against our sins. And when we do wrong, as we do all the time, then an apology goes a long way. We are very quick to criticize, but very slow to apologize, if we apologize at all. Wrong words leave festering wounds, but kind and humble words are like ointment on those wounds. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, 
God has given you a wonderful tool. It's a very powerful tool. Use it in the way that he intended it for you to use it. And it is not something you can do in your own power. You need God's help. And so pray every day that you may use your tongue for healing rather than wounding. As Paul says in Colossians 4 verse 6, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And he preceded that advice in verse 2 by saying, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful. It is only through prayer that the power of the Holy Spirit is available to you. Pray for a tongue set on fire by the Holy Spirit. Not a tongue that is set on fire by hell. And then God will bless you and make you a great blessing. Amen.